Am I on? Yes. Hey. <laughs> About 13 years ago, I went on a trip to Ireland and Scotland with my brother. <clears throat> and it was a, a trip of a lifetime and completely paid for. At the time, my brother was an executive at Wells Fargo in their personal wealth management division. And the previous year, he had become the number one personal investment advisor that Wells Fargo had in all of North America. And really what that means, when you calculate that out, is that he was responsible for managing upwards of a billion dollars of wealth for his clients. And the promised reward that he received for his success was more than a million dollar bonus from his company. And while we were in Ireland and Scotland, we lived high on the hog. Right? We played golf at some of the finest and most well-known courses in the world, stayed in the sweetest bed and breakfasts, and ate at the best restaurants. It was such a blessing. My brother worked really hard for his success, and he believed he secured for himself a wonderful little nest, little nest egg that he was willing to share with me. And if you do the math, though, 13 years ago was 2008. And if you recall, that's when the financial bubble burst. And we were actually in a pub in Ireland when that happened. I mean, it was like the world stopped and everyone around just held their breath for what seemed like hours. And once the news reported the fallout, my brother's Blackberry never stopped dinging and ringing. For the next two days, all he did was spend his time on the computer. And as you can imagine, our trip was cut short by a number of days because of the tragedy of the, of the bubble burst. And then shortly after getting home, I learned that what made my brother so concerned was he had invested most of his retirement accounts in the very markets that completely burst. And the bonus that he was promised, he never received. My brother thought, like many of us, security is found in our financial accounts. He banked his entire future and his family's future on the promises of this world. When the company couldn't live up to their promises and he couldn't meet his commitments he made to his clients, he experienced great loss. Not just financial, but emotional. Because his security was completely gone. And when you look to the world to provide you a wonderful future, you will ultimately, you will ultimately be let down. But... If you put all your chips on the Lord God Almighty, your future is completely secure and what awaits you is a glorious inheritance. And the good news for us today is the Bible tells us that in Christ, the chosen receive an inheritance from the Father by believing the gospel which is secured by the Spirit. God has promised this to all who believe, young and old. So if you would, let's open our Bibles to the first chapter of Ephesians this morning. And we're going to take a relatively brief look at verses 11 through 14 and explore what it looks like to find security in the Lord. 
So if you would stand with me as I read from Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1, I'm reading from the ESV. The Bible says, In Him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. In Him you also when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. This is God's word. Let's pray. Oh Lord God, thank you. Thank you, Father, for giving us this day to worship you. And Lord, as we open your word, we ask that you lead us by your spirit. Lord, we know that you want to speak to each and every person through your word today. So I ask you, Lord, that you would be faithful to manifest yourself here and open the ears, minds, and hearts of those gathered here at Chili Bible this morning. Lord, help us. Help us now, I pray, in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Well, there are so many people who put their trust in financial institutions, right, and in markets and systems to secure their future and the fortune they enjoy. And these agencies and financial experts have so many different methods of navigating what is a highly volatile and delicate ecosystem that can quickly give what seems like enormous security and just as fast take it away as was the case for my brother and so many other people. But the good news here in verse 11 is that the glorious inheritance the Bible speaks of here in Ephesians, it only requires one thing. Point number one in your bulletin says, In Christ, the chosen receive an inheritance from the Father. Verse 11 says, In Him... We have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So I'm going to carve that up and try to dig out the fuller meaning of this. Now, it may seem a little elementary to some of you. Uh, to others, I hope it brings fresh revelation. Uh, but I think it's really important that we get this right. Okay. So starting off in verse 11, in him we have obtained an inheritance. The hymn here simply refers to Jesus, to Christ. And another way to say that in him is to be unified with Jesus or, or joined to Jesus. So how does one become joined to Jesus? What does it mean to be in Christ? Well, luckily for us today, the Bible has a lot to say about that. Starting off, 2 Corinthians 5.17 tells us, If anyone is in Christ... He is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So we have to be made new to be in Christ. Another way of saying being made new is found in John chapter 3, when Jesus says to the Pharisee Nicodemus, you must be born again. The glorious inheritance that awaits you begins with new life in Christ. And when you have new life in Christ, Verse 11 goes on to say that those who are in Christ 
obtain an inheritance. And this inheritance that is being referred to here is not wealth or money or possessions. It's eternal life. It will include a variety of blessings, some in this life, many in the next. But its focus is eternal life. When we were born again, the Father gave us eternal life. Not just eternal life, though, but eternal life with Jesus in heaven. 1 Thessalonians 5.10, my favorite Bible verse. For God did not destine us, those who are in Christ, those who are born again for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. All of us here this morning, all of us, we will see eternity, some with Jesus and others without. We'll get to that part a little bit later. Verse 11 goes on to say, having been predestined. The word predestined here simply means chosen. You obtain this inheritance because you're chosen by the Father to receive the inheritance when you're in Christ. You can't choose this inheritance on your own without the Father choosing you first. You were born again because you've been chosen. You're in Christ because you've been chosen. You have an inheritance because you've been chosen. Not one person can receive this glorious inheritance except those that are chosen by the Father to be in Christ. And what's most wonderful, it's not a random act at all. Right? I mean, the passage that Carl read to us in Deuteronomy 30, 32 tells us that we don't deserve the inheritance. We don't. But God has promised it to his people because he created us, he created us to receive the inheritance. And he is faithful to give it and will fulfill that promise. Right? It's not a happy accident. It's part of God's plan. Verse 11 goes on to say, According to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. What this is saying is God has a sovereign plan that is unified in the three persons of the Trinity the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Our glorious triune God has chosen you because that was His will. God's plan was to give those who are in Christ the inheritance of eternal life with Jesus. Just like grandparents and parents choose who and what they give their inheritance to, the Father chooses who He gives His inheritance to as well. I mean, it's pretty simple, church. If you've been born again, if you have new life in Christ, you have an inheritance from the Father coming your way. Point number one. In Christ, the chosen receive an inheritance from the Father. Point number two, by believing the gospel. Verse 12 says, So that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be to the praise of His glory. The we here in verse 12 is referring to the Jews. Not just the apostles or the original disciples or those who were with Paul when he was writing this letter, but the Jews that have come to faith in Jesus. 
Right, starting way back in Matthew 16 when Peter confesses Jesus as the Christ, the Son of the living God, all the way up to Paul preaching the gospel to the Jews in Ephesus in Acts 19, where, where many have gotten saved. Actually, over these last few months, I've had the privilege of studying through the book of Acts, and every page is filled with great numbers of Jews being saved through faith, by the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus. It is a wonderful study of God's word. And uh, speaking of words, uh, the word hope here in verse 12. Let's focus on that for just a moment. It's just really a synonym for faith. right? When you have faith, you have hope. They go together. One is not separate from the other. right? Romans 8, 24, 25 says, For in this hope, faith, we were saved. Now, hope that is seen is not hope. For hope, for who hopes for what he sees, right? You can't have faith in what you see because right, it's right in front of you. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Just as Tony said in the beginning of the service, we walk by faith, not by sight. Hope equals faith. They are married together. When you believe in Jesus, you, you don't just have hope as the world hopes, though. It's a special kind of hope. Your hope is not in your upward mobility or in your retirement accounts. The hope in verse 12 is referring to eternal hope. 2 Corinthians 4.18, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, right? They're passing away. But the things that are unseen are eternal. What God has given to those who are in Christ is the hope of eternal life with Jesus. And when you have hope in Jesus, your response is to the praise of his glory. Listen, I've said this before. God's plan benefits us in so many ways. But it's a plan that shines the light of glory on the one who created it. The purpose of God's redeeming love in Christ has always been and will always be to display His glory. For from Him and through Him and to Him, all things to Him be glory forever. Every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father, is what it says in Philippians. The Jews here in verse 12, they have hope in Christ. And great news for us, so do the Gentiles. The Bible says in verse 13, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. I just want to repeat that. When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him. The use of the word you in this verse is simply just referring to the Ephesian Gentiles, right? That's who the letter is addressed to in Ephesians. Here Paul is wanting the Ephesians, who are not Jews, be really clear about that, who are not Jews, to understand that the hope he has in Christ, they have as well. Romans 1, the gospel gives hope to the Jew first, but also to the Greek, to the Gentile. We, we are Gentiles. Paul goes on to confirm this even deeper in verse 13, when he says, when you heard the word of truth. Paul preached the gospel to the Ephesians, and some of them heard 
what he was saying. I've said this before. You can't think yourself saved. You can't claim salvation from nothing. You have to know something. It's not knowledge alone that saves you. Because you need understanding to get saved. Your heart is informed by your head. You need to hear the truth. And the book of Romans, the book of Romans has a lot to say about truth. In chapter 10, starting in verse 8, I'm going to read this. You don't have to turn there, but I'm going to read this for you because it's really powerful. It says, but what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified. And with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith, faith comes from hearing. And hearing through the word of Christ. Friends, the Bible is the book that you encounter Christ in. All of it points to him. The words of life are found written on the pages of Scripture. Have you heard the truth? Do you have hope today? Have you heard the good news of Christ? And are you willing to receive what he wants to give you today? It's as easy as A, B, C. A, B, C. A, accept that you are a sinner in need of a Savior. The Bible says Romans, the Bible says in Romans 3 that all have sinned. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And because of our sin, Isaiah 59 says, He um, our sin has made a separation between us and God. And there's a penalty. And the penalty is death, is what it says in Romans chapter 6. And the only way to bridge the gap between you and God is to A, accept you're a sinner separated from God and in need of a Savior, and B, believe. Believe that Jesus is the only Savior and believe that He died for your sins, paying the penalty that you owe God. And He defeated death when He was raised from the dead. Right? It's all in 1 Corinthians 15. For I delivered to you as of first importance, like anything that I say, it's the most important thing of anything that comes out of my mouth because I also received it is what it says. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. 
that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. And he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 people. Dear friends, the words of God testify to the truth that Jesus went to the cross and died for your sins as the atoning sacrifice needed to please God. He paid the penalty, so you didn't have to. By his stripes, we are healed. Him for you. A, accept. B, believe. And C, confess. Back to Romans. The Bible says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Gentile. All you have to be is who you are. All you have to be is right where you are. It's as easy as ABC. Accept, believe, and confess. Right where you're at. You can't do anything to earn it. All you have to do is cry out to God, telling him that you believe the gospel and you will receive that glorious inheritance and eternal hope. Number one, in Christ the chosen receive an inheritance from the Father. Number two, by believing the gospel. And number three, which is secured by the Spirit. Verse 13, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. A few weeks ago, Christy finished up a four-year adoption report that we have to send in as a part of our commitment when we adopted Lottie. It's a lot of work and takes, I mean, it takes a lot of time. Thank you, my love. The report has all kinds of really interesting information about Lottie. Uh, what's her physical and mental health like? How school is going and what improvements has she made like academically? Is she growing? Is she learning? What are her relationships like, right? So how's her family life? How does she interact with other people? I mean, this report is pages long and, like I said, filled with all kinds of info. But when the report is done, we have to take it to a notary to have it signed. A notary, as if you didn't know, is a person that's empowered to authorize the validity of the report. The notary watches as you sign your name on a piece of paper and verifies that you are who you say you are and the document is what you say it is. Once you've completed signing your name, the notary stamps the report with a seal that certifies its authenticity. And that's what we see here in this last section. You were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Just as a notary can place a seal on a piece of paper authorizing the document, God places a seal on us when we believe in the gospel, right? The stamp of approval, the seal that marks our authenticity is God, the Holy Spirit. Paul writing to the Corinthian church says this in 2 Corinthians 1.20, and it is God who establishes us with Christ and has anointed us, and who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. The Holy Spirit both seals us like a Ziploc bag, seals your favorite leftovers, and secures us 
with the stamp of God's approval, telling everyone you belong to him and no one can take you away from him. No one can take you away from him. You were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance. Jesus himself says in John 6.39, and this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. The Holy Spirit secures our eternal future, our inheritance, but also provides the peace of mind that matter what happens to us in this life, we will be with Jesus in the next life. Right? Romans 8.38, For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is a glorious truth. Nothing can take you away from God and nothing can keep you from the inheritance God has promised you. Right? When you said yes to Jesus, when you said yes to forgiveness of sin, yes to salvation in Christ alone, God said yes to you and put his seal on you by giving you the Holy Spirit as a guarantee for what he has promised you. It's beautiful. What a glorious inheritance. Verse 14, until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. I remember when I first started working. It was a military school called Carson Long in a small town in Pennsylvania. Now, I didn't go to school there, but I got my first real job uh, in the kitchen cleaning dishes. I was only about eh, maybe 13 years old, and it was hard work but I got to see my friends at the school and made some money for my pocket. And that's always a good thing for a 13-year-old to have a little money in your pocket. And I remember looking forward so much to the end of the week when my boss would give me a check for the work. He didn't just write, hand me the cash, but he gave me a piece of paper. So when I showed up at the bank to cash that check, I would receive exactly what the check promised. I didn't have possession of the money when, I handed, when he handed me the check. But I had the promise of the money until I took possession of it at the bank. This last section, that's exactly what it's saying here. Yes, yes, you are saved. But your salvation has not been fully realized until you take possession of it in eternity. Dear friends, God has, God has a registry with your name in it. And it's called the Lamb's Book of Life. And when the chosen in Christ believe the gospel, their name is written in that book of life. When you die, the book will be opened. And the glorious king, the lamb that has been slain, will look at you and say, this one, this one is mine. Welcome home. Come on in and receive your reward. The check will be cashed and you will possess the promised inheritance to the praise of his glory. All of it is meant for his glory. Don't you just love the book of Ephesians? I opened up my sermon with a story about my brother. Now, my brother has managed to regain his fortune and his bank accounts and retirement funds are filled to the brim once again. He's living his best life now, filled with the riches of this world. 
a beautiful home, expensive cars, and traveling all over creation. Listen, and he has worked very hard for his success. And maybe his wife and children will receive quite the reward when he dies. But this life will end, and his treasure today will mean nothing when he stands before Jesus. What you invest in now, what you put all your chips on in this life, determines what you receive in the next life. And make the most important investment you will ever make If you will give him your life, he will give you new life. And that life is far greater than anything this world has to offer you. It really doesn't matter what's in your bank account. It doesn't. The world only offers fleeting security. But in Christ, the chosen to receive an inheritance from the Father by believing the gospel which is secured by the Spirit for the next life. Church, push all your chips in on Jesus today, and you will have eternal hope and a glorious inheritance. Let's pray. Oh Lord God, thank you for the promise in your word. If we call on your name, we will be saved, sealed and secure, Lord. And the Spirit of God will set His seal on us and be with us. What amazing hope you give to those in Christ. Thank you, Lord, for all you have done and all we get to see you do. So we praise you because you alone deserve all the glory, power, and honor. And we love you, Lord. And we pray now in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. I thank you, guys. Um, our dear brother and servant, Jeff, is going to come and share an encouraging word for fathers today, okay? Thank you.